0: Be streaming live soon. All right, good morning. It's great to be here with you as we continue our study of the book of James, and we're moving on to James chapter four. If you missed Pastor Rick teaching uh, yesterday morning finishing chapter three of James, I encourage you go, go listen to that all about wisdom from above, not earthly wisdom. Uh then in, in, in chapter 4, verse 1, James begins to, he moves the thought into a little bit deeper and basically says to them that, uh, well, let's read it. From whence come war, wars and fightings among you? From whence come wars and fightings among you? Okay. He's asking a question here, trying to get them to think. Obviously, there's a lot of fighting. There's disagreement. There's discord among the believers. So he says, where's it coming from? Let's pinpoint the problem. Okay? Of course, and then he, of course, gives them the answer. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Come they not hence, meaning don't they come from this, even of your lusts that war in your members. Then he gives some more. And we'll go back and unpack this, but let's let's read through verse 3, and then we'll tackle it. You lust and have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not, because you ask not. You ask and you receive not, because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your lusts. So that's James 4, 1 through 3. Pray with me, Lord. Thank you for James, and thank you for his ability to really get to the heart of a matter. And, and I pray, God, you would use this Scripture this morning to convict us, to to draw us close to you and help us to know your heart, Lord God. Well, James, what he's doing here is he's really, he's really looking at the Tenth Commandment. Okay? That's really what he's doing. You know, uh, don't think that the Old Testament that the New Testament guys, right, that the Gospel writers and and Paul and Peter and John and, and James here and Jude, don't think that these guys somehow made up New Testament writings disconnected from the Old Testament. If you go back and you read Exodus, you read Leviticus, and we have a lot of Bible studies on that, especially Leviticus. You know, there's a whole series from Pastor Rick on Leviticus. We have a bunch of stuff on Exodus. If you go back and look at that, God was revealing His heart to Moses. Revealing. It comes from revelation. God has to reveal it to us. And so, a lot of this stuff in the New Testament, it becomes more rich when when you look at it in context of, of God's revelation to us in the Old Testament. Because essentially, what God said is that He desires to have a people who does not covet. Who does not covet. And so James, it, he's an Old Testament guy. Remember, he's a Jewish guy. He's an Old Testament guy. And so that's that's what he's referring to. Essentially, what he's saying is that that the, the, the Christians that are reading this letter are stuck in, failing in the Tenth Commandment over and over again. But, but then he, he gives them, he, he doesn't just heap condemnation on them. He, he tries to help them sort of process it a little bit. So, first thing I want to do is I want to read, real quick, just the Tenth Commandment, Exodus 20, verse 17. And you'll see how this sounds very similar to what James is saying in these first three verses. It says, Exodus 20, verse 17, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now, anything that belongs to your neighbor. Okay? You shall not covet your neighbor's hair. You didn't think I was going to say that one, did you? Huh? Not really, I'm getting to the real things that bother us. Right? You shall not covet your neighbor's hair. Ah, uh, wife, you shall not covet your neighbor's uh, oh, car is a good one, or uh, you know your neighbor's yard, or your neighbor's physique. Oh, all kinds of things, and we could go on and on and on. I mean, I'm talking about just simple life. This, you know, we we live in a world where we are just constantly asked to compare ourselves to others. And that's that's the heart of of what James is saying here and what the 10th commandment is that you're comparing as we compare ourselves to others you shall not covet your neighbor's reputation. Oh, there's one. Your neighbor's retirement account. You shall not I mean, you, we could go on and on, right? So what is it that what is it that you sort of feel like you're missing that this world has to offer? And when you see somebody that has it, you get a little bit sad inside. You 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 kind of wish that you had that. There There's something. And what James is doing here is he's trying to get the believers to do a little bit of self-inventory first and just be honest. Remember, yesterday morning, Pastor Rick talked about uh, how uh, a wise person shows it in the way they act in in their in their life, okay? Without lying, it's truthful. True true wisdom is truthful. And James is saying, "Come on, guys, let's be wise. Be truthful with yourselves. You guys are looking at each other and just trying to compete with each other to get." What you don't have, and seeing who can who could outpace the other one. He's he's asking them to come to a moment of humility, to say, "Yeah, that's what I'm doing. That really is what I'm doing." And and so, what's happening? What's so the cause or or the results of this type of behavior is, I mean, it's destructive, very destructive. Because what it, what begins to happen is that it's all based on self and not the needs of others. And that's what a lot of the leaders were doing. And so James is mad because the leaders can't be acting this way because the leadership is now being reflected in the congregation. And so everything's a mess. Well, James wasn't the only one that had to deal with this. Okay, let's go look at what Paul says to the Ephesians. You know, very, very similar things, very similar things and, and uh, I'll try not to read it too fast. Um, but Paul, in, in Ephesians chapter 4, he says this to the church in Ephesus. By the way, parentheses, commercial, March the 17th to the April 1st, we have a trip going to the seven churches of Revelation, which is in modern-day Turkey, and you fly into Istanbul and then you connect to Izmir, Turkey. And you stay in Kusadasi, Turkey, for two nights. And close there is Ephesus. And we're going to go see Ephesus and all of the excavations that they've been doing there. And it's amazing what they've been doing. It's beautiful and it's, it's, it's a trip of a lifetime. And you'll see uh, the, the remains of where the church started, where these churches started, these seven churches. Okay, And they're doing all kinds of excavations. It's amazing. It's beautiful. Please go with us. And then we go for a week there, and then we go for a week to Israel and see, see Galilee. We see three days up, in, up up by the Sea of Galilee doing all kinds of sight where Jesus walked and ministered Then come down to Jerusalem. A trip of a lifetime. You'll love it. So Ephesus, Paul says to the church in Ephesus, all right, close parentheses, we're back into the Bible study now. So I tell you this, and this is verse 17, and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. And the futility of their thinking, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Greed, right? Just wanting. that's That's what... James is dealing with just wanting, and He says, That, however, is not the way of life you learn when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. In other words, we who are called of God have to respect the Tenth Commandment. And we cannot live as the world does. And so we have to be honest with ourselves about where we stand with this. Where am I? in my life today, when it comes to comparing myself to others and having a hard time, because here's... Have you ever heard the word emotional intelligence? I tell you what, that's a a new phrase, but not a new idea. Because I'm telling you, Paul, James, these were guys who were emotionally intelligent. Why? Why? Because they submitted themselves to the Lord and God had to break them down of everything that was worldly so that they could understand what it meant to live with God. I mean, these guys, these were guys where God really exposed them to a microscope and said, you got to be honest with yourself. You're living after the world, aren't you? Yeah, I really am. I have no idea what it means to follow Jesus. I have no idea what it means to live for God. I have no idea what it means to lay myself down for other people. I don't know how to be like Jesus. Now, that's what... That's what Paul had to do. That's what James... They all had to do it. You know what? We do too. We do too. And so James is saying, look at yourselves. This is what you're doing. And so you lust, and you don't have, because uh, when you ask, you don't even ask with the right motives. So really what we are going... Our behavior will be reflected by our motives. Let me say that the other way around. I said that wrong. Our motives will be reflected in our behavior. A lot of times we look at our behavior, and I think that's what James is doing, Talk, you know, emotional intelligence, right? I think that's what James is doing, is he's trying to get them to really analyze their motives and be honest with themselves. Because James can see it, you know. James sees it. But he wants them to see it. What is motivating you? It's going to be reflected in your actions. So sometimes behavior modification is necessary, you know. You have to you have to have boundaries, you have to have accountability to uh, manage sinful behavior, yes. But then there's also the victorious aspect of it where you're not just managing your sin, but you're overcoming your sin. And that begins a little bit deeper, and that's where James is taking them, not just looking at the behavior but taking them deep into and saying, what's really motivating you in your life right now? And so that's my question to all of us. That's a question to me. It's a good question for us to ask ourselves. What is motivating me in my life right now? What is motivating you? What is your primary motivating factor? You know, for those of us who are called to full-time ministry, uh, our answer might be different, a little bit different. Now, all of us should have, some similar answers, right? As Christians, as followers of Christ, we're motivated to honor God. We're motivated to uh, love God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We should be motivated to love our neighbors, ourselves. We should be motivated to care and protect for our families. We should be motivated to uh, uh, show up to work on time. We should be motivated to pay our bills on time. We should be motivated to pray. But sometimes we're not, if we're honest with ourselves. And so if we come and we say, okay, God, honestly, I, I have to say that sometimes I make decisions because I wish I was like this person, or I wish I had what that person had, or I think I'd be happier if I, that person looks really happy. And so we begin to do the comparing game, and that's where the coveting thing begins. That's where the covenanting thing begins. And so God is saying to us that as we come to him as the one who will provide everything that we need, then we begin to look at it a different way and that's what James is saying is that if you're going to pray and ask God for something. And so now he's getting into prayer life. Now he's getting into your prayer life. Man, James is just really meddling with everything. <laughs> If you, if you were to stay the way you are, don't read the book of James. If you were to change, read James. Read it slow and, and really pray through it. Because James is saying, okay, let's look at your prayer life now. How are you talking to God? So you come to God and you say, say, God, I want this. God, would you please bless me with this? Now, we've had people come through this office who said that they're praying that God would give them a certain BMW. Or a certain uh, Toyota 4Runner, white. I had a guy call me one time and say, no, he didn't call me. I was talking to him. He, he, he did some contract work for the office. And look, I, hey, y'all, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying I'm better than these people. I'm just giving examples. Sorry I can't think of one for myself. I'm sure somebody else could think of plenty. <laughs> Terry could tell you something, my wife. Okay, but, you know, we're doing some work, and he he said, well, we need a car. We're praying that God would give us a... a, a, It was like this. We're praying that God would give us a 2005 Toyota Camry with a sunroof, cruise control, uh, you know, leather seats, uh, baby blue, and less than 70,000 miles. I mean, it was that specific. And I have to ask myself about these requests. If... If James might have something going on where he says, when you ask, you're really just asking for yourself. Because see, sometimes when we come to God, we fool ourselves in thinking that what we're asking God for is is because, oh God, I'll use it for your glory if you just give it to me. Right? (laughs) And sometimes we deceive ourselves. Yes, we can actually deceive ourselves. I mean, James says that multiple times, actually, that we can actually deceive ourselves. And and we have to be careful that when we come to God, we say, God, you are the one that provides everything that I need. And before I come to you with anything else, I just want to confess to you that I don't even know what I need. Now, now that's a different way of approaching it. And I think that's what James is trying to get these questions these folks to come to the place of, it's really not about we analyzing our situation and deciding what we need, and then we come to God and ask to provide what we have decided we need. Because then our hearts aren't really in the right place anyway. We come to God and say, God, I I don't even know if I can trust myself to interpret the situation correctly. I I don't even know if I can trust myself to, to... understand what's going on in my finances. Maybe there's a spiritual principle. Maybe the Lord will talk to you and say, you're not tithing. That's the real problem. (laughs) But you want to avoid that problem and just say, God, give me a job where I make more money because somehow I'm running out. And The "The problem is not that you need more money. The problem is you're not tithing. You see? Once we open ourselves up to the wisdom of God coming in, then things might change a little bit differently. So we have to come to... God carefully and not come to God think that we know what's best and we just tell God what's best and he has to do what we say because that's 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 implied here well that's not really implied it's pretty explicitly stated that that's what they're doing Um, now I believe with all my heart that none of us can pray perfectly to God None of us will serve perfectly to God. None of us will love others perfectly. Okay? And God knows that. So this is not about uh, trying to live up to some sort of perfect standard. This is about simply humbly coming before God and asking Him to give you mercy. And just confessing, God, I confess to you that that in my prayer time, I'm probably going to say some things that are just Totally out of whack, and I don't even know it's out of whack, but please just forgive me because I want to have a I want to have a heart right towards you. Now, now is God going to despise that heart? No. A broken and contrite spirit, the Lord will not despise. He's going to receive that prayer. And he's going to begin to talk to you. And he's going to begin to lead your life. You just say, God, I just want you to open the door. Now, let me just say that one of the things that James is doing and he's, tries to, he's trying to get the leadership to change their ways, to change their style of leadership. Because right now it's leadership that's all focused on them. If you remember back in chapter 3, he begins talking about teachers. In other words, the leaders of the church. The ones who are giving spiritual instruction and trying to train others. And he's starting there And, and because uh, those are the guys... That's one of the reasons when we go to a trip, we try to have a pastor's conference. Because if you can if you can empower the leadership, then the congregation will follow. And so, you know, we're you know what we're doing here with RBM is not making up some new approach. Okay, so let's move on. i got ten more minutes, and so I'm going to move on here. And I'm going to hit verse uh, 4. You adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. All right, so with this verse, okay, he presents uh, James using the same terminology as Paul. If you listen to some of our Bible studies uh, on James already, you'll you'll remember that um, Paul probably sat with James. Uh, if you look in Acts chapter 15, or, uh, or uh, in Galatians chapter 2, he mention Paul mentions that when he go when he goes to Jerusalem, he didn't really meet with any of the apostles, but James was there. James, the brother of Jesus, was there. So we probably sat with James and talked with James. And there's a lot of similarities. You know, this idea that, uh, you know, that Paul's statement that, you know, we're saved by grace through, through faith so no man could boast, not by works, is opposed to James. Isn't, yeah, that's not true. Okay? James, Paul is reflects a lot of what James is saying here. Let's look at uh, Romans 7, 1 to 4 says this, Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as that person lives? For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another. In other words, he's using an example here to say that once we come to Christ, we are totally cut off from the law. The, the in other words, we can't be belong to both. And and Jesus himself says in in uh, the Gospel of John, if the world hate you. You know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So we don't belong to the world. We belong to God, and you can't belong to both at the same time. Now, now Christians who belong to God, but are are still having a hard time with trying to transplant a worldly approach to life into their Christian walk, those are the ones who are, are in conflict all the time. okay? Because they belong to God, but they're trying to live a godly life based off worldly principles. And it simply doesn't work that way. You cannot follow God and live a godly life based on worldly principles. And so you have to divide the two. And you have you have to come to a place where you say, God, before I knew you, I used to approach life this way. And I have to confess to you that I can't approach life that way anymore. But, But honestly, God, that means that I don't really know how to do it now. Because I have to live for you. I can't live as the world lives anymore. So, If you're a Christian who's been in conflict because what you're doing doesn't seem to be working and you've been trying so hard. I mean, you meet Christians all the time who just are frustrated and they feel like they're not going anywhere. They're not developing in their Christian life. It's this principle that James is talking about where you can't belong to two. If you belong to God, then you can't approach a godly life based on worldly principles. And... So what do you do? Well, you come to God and you say, God, I need your help. I need your help figuring out how this is going to work because I don't know what it means to live a prophetic life. I've never done it before, God. The scriptures say that there's a gift of prophecy, of prophesying, of that's edifying and building and comforting, but I've never done that before, God. I don't know what to do. God, I've I've never lived I've never received a word of wisdom for you in my entire life. What is that all about? I have no idea. Man, it's so awesome when we take people on a trip who 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 who've never done any of this, you know? Not been introduced to the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, and they go on a trip and suddenly they're introduced them to the concept that the Holy Spirit of God is actually there living inside of them and and is able to talk to them and lead them and guide them and empower them through the gifts and they go I mean, Terry Frierson, Patty Frierson, man, uh, not that they never heard of the Holy Spirit or anything like that, but, uh, you know, Cameron Bridgen, you know, he, he gave a testimony at, uh, at Rekindle the Flame Conference this year. He went to Brazil in June. In July, he's given a testimony saying that he heard of the Holy Spirit, but he never seen anything like this. And he... He and some others were praying for a man at the altar in Brazil who was blind. Eyes were clouded over. Totally clear he was seeing. Changed his life. We didn't do anything about it. Pastor Rick says all the time, he didn't do it. He knows that. We simply try to provide an atmosphere where people will be introduced to a new way of approaching the Christian life. One that's empowered by the Spirit. And so, when you're empowered by the Spirit, then you begin to see that with God all things are possible and you don't have to depend on worldly wisdom anymore. And so James is reminding him and saying, you can't be living as a worldly people. That's what Paul was saying to the Ephesians. You can't live as worldly people and somehow claim to be godly people, to be holy people. Because to be holy means, well, that you're peaceable. Going back to verse 17 of chapter 3, that you're gentle, that you're full of mercy, that you have good fruits, that you don't show partiality, that you don't have hypocrisy, that you don't covet and lust. Do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us lusts to envy? In other words, God put a Holy Spirit inside of each one of us. It's it's Romans chapter 8. The Spirit of God witnesses with our spirits and cries, Abba, Father. And so God did not give us His Holy Spirit for us to go around and just waste it on the world. God gave us His Holy Spirit so that we could live for Him. And I want to be able to stand before the Father and say, God, I, I was not perfect in my life. I know that I did some things wrong. But man, I, I was really trying to, to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. So how do you pray? You just say, God, help me not to be of this world. Whatever is inside of me that is worldly, I pray that you would remove it. I pray that you would replace it with your Holy Spirit. Forgive me, God, for comparing myself to others. Forgive me, God, for not honoring you, for not honoring others. Forgive me, God, from for, for trying to puff myself up and make myself think that I'm more important than I am. God, in your sight, I'm nothing. I'm just a humble vessel that wants to be used by you. Oh, man, God will just come and whoosh into your spirit and just begin to work and... I may just breathe new life into you and your family. Your prayer life will take off. God, He does not... Op- Let me end right here because He quotes a proverb, but He gives more grace, wherefore He said, God resists the proud, but gives grace unto the humble. So God is just looking for a humble spirit. Will you be that humble spirit today? I pray that you would. And I believe God is going to meet you in that powerful moment where you just humble yourself before Him and say, God, I got nothing, and I need everything you got. Amen. We'll see you for next time. Have a great day. i